Well, good morning again, Grace people. Good to be with you today. Good also to be with those of you who are watching in the Fellowship Hall this morning. Well, we are continuing on our sermon series that we started three weeks ago, and then we skipped a week <laughs> based on some of the circumstances that we were in, but we're on a circum... or a, a sur- Let me try this again. We are on a sermon series <laughs> entitled Seasons. We're talking about seasons of life. We're looking at the various and multi-layered seasons of our lives. Some of them are seasons that all of us experience at the same time, like winter or spring or summer or any of those typical seasons. Some of them we're all kind of experiencing as an era of time, if you want to call it the season of COVID. But others of us also are experiencing at the same time personal seasons, seasons that maybe only apply to you or to your family or to a close relationship seasons of depression, seasons of celebration, seasons of high school or college or career, seasons of parenting or of parenting your parents, all different seasons. And we've been trying to explore and look at some of these things through the lens of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus in each of these seasons? Because here's the thing, no matter what season you are in, you are still called to be a follower of Jesus. That does not change. His call, his invitation to follow him is constant and always and continuous towards you and for you. That's how we're called to live our lives and to live our lives as followers of Jesus, as his disciples in whatever season we may be in. But we've also discovered that the challenges of these seasons sometimes cause us to disconnect from God or make it hard to stay in an attitude of discipleship, to remain in that place of being a devoted or dedicated follower. Or we simply confuse what's happening in our own lives and we start to bring self-condemnation on ourselves. Oh, obviously I'm not a good disciple of Jesus because I'm not doing what everybody else is doing Of course, not taking into account your season or their season. So we see how people can sometimes become disconnected from their discipleship and then disconnected from one another in those seasons of discipleship. But something else we've noticed is that people sometimes get lost in the transitions, transitioning from one season to another, whether it's going from being a high school student to being a college student or a college student to moving on into life and career Maybe going from being a single person to being a married person, or going from being a married person back to being a single person, or a widow or a widower, or all the many different transitions that we go through as followers of Jesus. So we wanted to take this time to focus in, to get some idea of what these seasons are like, to help us to understand the seasons we are in as brothers and sisters in Christ, and also to bring some encouragement to the season you're in or the transition of season that you may be in at this season of life as well. Now, the first week we did this, we did a little survey and got some information from you about what kind of season you saw yourself as being in or maybe multiple seasons. And then that second week, we had a chance to do something called meetups, which was just wonderful. And it really breaks my heart that we're not able to do it this week and, and continue on in that pattern that we've been in. Oh, yes, thank you so much, COVID. But I tell you what, we'll do it again. Because something that I witnessed as I watched 
and participated in the conversations and the discussions that we had in that first week of meetups was how deeply people were ready to go in connection with one another and how quickly they were able to get there. I think there's a hunger within us as followers of Jesus. And some of it's related to the circumstances that we are all sharing, but whatever it is, I think the Holy Spirit is up to something. Helping us in those places of conversation and sharing little bits and pieces of our lives and feeling willing to, to take off some of the masks, those masks that give that quick from the hip reply of, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I've heard that less and less during this season. I've heard more people being honest with either saying, oh, you know what? I just had a great weekend. It was so good to be together with some people who I haven't seen in a while. While others may be in a place of going, you know what? This is really, really hard right now. Thanks for asking. Can I, can I share with you and would you pray for me? What wonderful signs those are as a part of being in God's family, the one that Jesus has brought us all into here at Community of Grace. I'm proud of you. I'm encouraged by you, and believe me, we will continue to find ways to do those meetups on into the future. So let's continue on discovering and exploring some of these seasons. We've touched on a few of the different seasons so far, kind of going along those stages of life seasons. We started off by hearing from Pastor Angie talking about what it was like to be a child and how as a child and a follower of Jesus, she was able to have a remarkable impact on her pastor growing up, a key moment in time where she was an encouragement to him and brought the grace of Jesus into his life. What a gift that is and what a gift we can receive from children in that season of their lives as well. It was rich and wonderful. And then we got to hear from Dan Lugo as he shared a little bit of what that shift in life is like in young adulthood and moving on through college and even some of the questions and doubts that emerge in those seasons. Moving on into relationship and starting with young children. All of the different facets and elements that play into our lives and help us to discover and explore what it is to be a disciple of Jesus in that season to be honest about those challenges, to understand them, understand the way that we follow Jesus and how we connect to others in that season too. So today, it's my turn. I get to share a little bit and take a shot at the journey of being a disciple of Jesus who is in the midst of shifting from being a parent of teenagers to being a parent of adults. It's an interesting shift. Many of you have been this journey before me. I appreciate the insights and wisdom that I received from some of you as we shared about this journey together. Now, I could say that there's probably other seasons that I'm in as well, seasons of personal challenge in my own life, seasons of what it's like to be married in the midst of times like this, seasons of what it's like to also have parents who are aging and exploring what that is like. But today, I kind of want to hone in and what it's like to be a parent of teenagers who are now becoming young adults. You see, each stage of parenting requires a different approach in being a disciple of Jesus and in making disciples of Jesus. Huh, does that sound familiar? Of course it does. It's our mission statement. It's Jesus' mission statement for us. 
to be disciples and to make disciples. And those two things come crashing right together with each other when you are in the process of parenting. No matter what stage it is you're at, you are both being a disciple yourself and then you're trying to make disciples of your children and helping them in their journey. And here's the thing. This is without question the hardest part of this facet of the journey for me. Why? Because it's extremely difficult to see your own children the way others see them and the way God sees them. Maybe you've experienced this, or maybe it's just me. I doubt it. I think most of you have experienced what it's like to to be talking with your children, to see them through a particular lens as their mother or father, and then to go through those shifts and changes of life where suddenly you have interactions with them that surprise you, or you have interactions with others who see your children through their lens, and you're like, wow, how do you see them that way? It's so different from how I see them or how I understand them. I had one of these experiences just this last week. I love to talk about my children in some of my sermons. Yes, there's always some type of bribery that's involved with my children to let them know that uh, after the fact they get to buy something or go shopping for something or hold it over my head, however that is. But today I want to talk about my youngest, Kaylee. And I'm sure she's watching at uh, Gustavus this morning because that's what she does. You see, I have this picture in my head of my daughter Kaylee. And if I had planned ahead enough, I would have shown you one of the images that I have of my daughter Kaylee. But it's Kaylee as a little girl with pigtails. Kaylee's my youngest. She's my baby girl. And being the youngest in my own family, we relate on some interesting ways together as the youngest. First of all, we realize that we can do no wrong. (laughs) Just kind of the thing about being the youngest, right? At least that's the perception of every older sibling in the family. We have any firstborns in the room? Yeah. How many of you looked at your little brother, your little sister, and went, your parents are not the same ones that raised me? I got that every once in a while from my siblings. But she's my baby girl, and I will forever see her that way, She's the one who still gives me hugs and kisses before she goes to bed at night. She's home from college. That's just who she is. She's still my baby girl. But my baby girl is at college right now. And my baby girl is studying statistics and mathematics as a double major. So the other day, she had a presentation she had to do. It's J-term, and in J-term, they have these compressed classes. And the class that she's taking right now is in her own understanding and in the understanding of others at her college, the hardest class to take in J-term. As a matter of fact, it's so hard that this is the last year that they're offering this particular class during J-term. And my daughter won the lottery to be able to do it for the last time. It's been hard. It's been a grind for her to make her way through this class. And and finally, the culmination of this class was to do a group presentation on a particular topic. And because of the wonders of modern technology, they set it up as a Zoom call so that my wife and I could actually tune in and watch the presentation. 
A presentation happened last week, and as they were getting ready to, to go to the presentation, I kind of lost track of time, and so I'm like, oh, 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 that's right, the presentation's happening. So I hopped onto the link and, and clicked in there, and, and, uh, and there giving, giving uh, part of what was going on was the professor of the class, because the professor was there and speaking very eloquently and talking very knowledgeably and you know, had a mask covering half of her face so you couldn't quite picture who she was, but, but was talking and sharing and, and just you know, really eloquent and easily discussing these topics that are just so far above and beyond me and, and clear and concise, and, and, and that's when I discovered it wasn't the professor of the class. It was my daughter. <laughs> and my jaw hit the floor. I went, my gosh, she is clear spoken and she is composed and she's talking about things that I have no knowledge of whatsoever but explaining them clearly in clean sentences and and I was amazed and for just a second I got a glimpse of this young woman this young adult as not being my baby girl with pigtails but being her own unique person with her own personality, her own dreams, her own desires, her own understanding, and yes, her own discipleship as a follower of Jesus. It's hard to wrap your head around that. It's hard for us as parents to see our kids in some of these lights. And you know what? Scripture also shows us this as well. There's a story in the Old Testament, a story that I want to read to you that you've already heard if you're here in the traditional service, but I'm going to read it to you again. It's the story of Samuel and Jesse and Jesse's boys. All of Jesse's boys. And the story goes like this from 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Here's the story. Samuel is a judge of Israel, and Samuel is in a transitional period himself. And just seven chapters before this, he had anointed Saul to be the king of Israel, the kind of king that the people would have made as their people's choice award. Saul looked the part. Saul had everything about him externally that seemed to be very king-like. But Saul screwed up. Saul failed, and God's anointing lifted off of Saul. And so Saul now has another job for Samuel. It's, Samuel, it's time to pick the king of my choosing, the one who I want to be king. And so I'm sending you to this village, this village of Bethlehem. You may have heard of it before. To find this family and the father named Jesse. So off they go to find this family, and here's where the story picks up. When they arrived, Samuel said to saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? 
There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him, and we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Samuel and Jesse trying to pick out who of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king. And Jesse had in his mind the way that he saw his sons, right? He saw his sons through a particular lens. He saw them as the ones who looked the most kingly, the ones who would obviously be amongst those who would get chosen. And I'm sure that he lined them up in front of Samuel from oldest to youngest, because that would have been the way. So up they come, all seven of Jesse's sons. And down the line they go. And you can just imagine Jesse sitting there going, okay, so it's not this one. Well, it's got to be this one then, right? Not this one. Okay, getting all the way down the list, getting all the way to son number seven, and Samuel going, nope, it's not any of these. Jesse going, huh, I was sure it had to be. How could it not be? I mean, it, you said it had to be one of my sons. There's just no possible way. And for Samuel to ask the question that seems so ridiculous, doesn't it? Oh, by the way, do you have any other sons? Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about one of my children, David. Oh, yeah, that's right, David. David, David, he's a kid. He's out taking care of the sheep. There's no possible way. Listen, you know, you just, let's just pass on this. I know David. He's a good shepherd. He's a good boy. But listen, that, he, that's what he does. He's not king material. Samuel says, bring him here. We're not sitting down until I have a chance to meet him. And who knows how long it took them to go find David, bring him away from the sheep, bring him on up. You can imagine that car ride, right? Hey, I'm bringing you over to see Samuel. Oh, really, Dad? Well, why Samuel here? Well, he's here to pick a king from one of my sons. And I forgot to include you. So David arrives. Samuel hears the word of the Lord. This is the one. Anoint him to be the next king. I can understand the challenge of Jesse to look at his sons and to see them in a different light, to see things the way God sees them in the lives and light of our own children. God's word to Samuel is clear. Listen, people look at the outside. People look at the obvious things. And that's to be expected. But God looks at the heart. And he invites us as fellow disciples and parents and followers of Jesus to see our children in that light as well. To see them uniquely as created by God. To see them and recognize that, that yes, you have a role to play in making them disciples, but ultimately they are their own person before the Lord, just as you are. So how do we shift our discipleship and disciple-making as our children grow up. Well, let me start with a confession. Number one, this is a work in progress for me. 
and I've made as many mistakes doing it as I have successes. As a matter of fact, I'll take credit for the mistakes, and my wife can take credit for the successes. Because the reality of it is, we're all still trying to figure out our journey as disciples too. Every one of us. And what I'm trying to share with you today is not tips from Pastor Darren about how great Pastor Darren has done this. They're just some things that I have picked up in my own life. In many cases, knowledge that I've gleaned from, from screwing it up. And then also wisdom I've gleaned from seeing other people and learning from them. So here's a couple of these things that I've seen. That shift that we make with seeing young people as well as our own children is a shift from obligation to invitation. I think about this in particular when it comes to the faith development of our young people. For a while there, there was a, a saying that everybody had that says, well, you know what, you really ought to force your kids to go to church. I mean, by gosh, that's what happens in this family, in this household, in our house, we force our kids to go to church. They don't have a choice, this is what they do. And you know what, at a certain age, I totally get that. When your children are young, by all means, they should be brought to church with you and it's not like they have a choice in the matter. But there comes a time, a shifting of your parenting that happens, oh, sometime between maybe fifth grade and about eighth grade, where you discover that faith for them also has to be their faith and not just yours. And you will hit a spot in their lives where if you make it your decision to force them to be at church because, by God, that's what you have to do. If they're not in it with you, you will do more harm than good. I've watched it. I've seen it play out. I've watched it repeated over and over and over again. So moving from this place of obligation to invitation, you start shifting it to that place of going, you know what, I, I would love for you to come and join us. This is what we do. Follow me as I'm following Jesus, just like Paul said. And as you shift from that place of obligation to invitation, watch as it changes in the personality and psyche of your children as well. So you start to shift from obligation to invitation. You also shift from being a director to being an advisor. We love to give direction. I love to give direction. My children have something that's going on in their lives. My first instinct is to jump in and go, well, here's what I think you should do. To step back from that place and say, you know what? It's time for me to shift from being a director to being an advisor. And what a good advisor does is a good advisor asks questions. Well, what are you thinking about with that? What are some options that you're seeing? How is the way that you're doing it right now working for you, or how is it not working for you? Moving to that place of advisor with your young people as they move into their lives as followers of Jesus. And then moving from holding on to handing over. Holding on to handing over. Listen, when our children are young, we have an important role in their lives, which is as their protectors, right? We're there to protect them, to watch over them, to, to grab them when they're ready to run out into the street, not to look at it and go, well, it's just natural circumstances. If they run out there, well, they'll learn once they get hit by the bus. No, of course not. 
there's certainly that place and time where you need to be the protector, where you need to grab a hold of them and say, no, I'm protecting you from yourself, from the dangers of the world that are around you. But here's the thing. If you stay in that mode forever with your kids, they will start to see the world not as a place that is a mission field to do ministry, but as a war zone to fight in. And as a place to be feared. Shifting from that place of holding on as a parent to handing over to going, you know what, I trust that as you have grown, as you are learning to follow Jesus yourself, that God's Spirit is at work in you. And I trust Him to guide you. And I trust and believe that, that the things that you will experience and places that you will explore, yeah, some of them might be dark, some of them might be dangerous, but I will be here for you, to support you, to encourage you, to challenge you, but not to be afraid for you. Instead, to trust that God is good and that his plans for you are good as well. Then to move from authority to humility. When our children are young, they see the image of God in you as the one who is the final authority. And that's good. God puts those authorities in place in our lives. Tells us to honor our father and mother as we would honor the Lord. Very important. And so we must walk in that authority as parents in a grace-filled but intentional way. But as time goes along, if we stay in that place of authority towards them as they become young adults and move on into adulthood they'll start to get a distorted image of God. Because here's the thing, you ain't God, and neither am I. So instead of staying in that place of authority, we begin to move into that place of humility. Now obviously, these things go hand in hand. It's not like you suddenly switch, uh, flip a switch from one to the other. But here's the thing, when you're able to walk with your young people and talk with them in such a way that says, hey, you know what, I'm still figuring this out myself too. And I haven't always gotten it right. And knowing when the circumstances call for strength and when the circumstances call for vulnerability. To be vulnerable in front of young people to go, hey, you know what? Boy, I've run through some rough cycles and seasons in my own life and I haven't always gotten it right. And sometimes I have some big questions too. Maybe they're the same questions that you have. I trust that we can explore those things together. Learn from one another as well as learning from the Lord. Which leads to the final place, which is just to abound in grace. Be abounding in grace. Grace means unmerited favor. It means showing unmerited favor towards your children as they grow into their places in life. But it also means showing unmerited favor towards yourself receiving that grace for yourself. In talking with a lot of parents who have adult children, some of who have adult children that are my age <laughs> as adult children, oftentimes the guilt that they are racked with leads to places that are, are not healthy for them or for their children. 
you know, running in that guilt of, oh, my, my, my children aren't walking with the Lord right now, and so I've got to double my efforts to somehow get them to fix it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to over, overwhelm them with a sense of talking about Jesus all the time or, or trying to get them to straighten things out so that they see things the way that I do because I'm so frustrated or so filled with fear because of where I see them at right now. Friends, that's not operating in grace. Operating in grace starts with receiving that grace yourself to go, you know what, I know that I haven't been the perfect parent. And I know I probably didn't get it all figured out and get it all right myself. But instead of trying to fix them or fix myself, I'm just going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Put myself before him. And let my children see that. And then extend that same grace to them in the journey that they are on. Friends, this counts not only for the children that we have, but for the children that are around us, for the next generation that is around us. This journey of discipleship is ultimately about becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's a lifetime journey. So live into that grace yourself as you share that grace with the next generation. And as you follow the words of Paul, which is to not let anyone look down on you because you are young but instead to set an example in faith and in purity and in life. We can do that for each other across the generations as well as we do that for our young people in our own lives, our own children. So as I close this time, I just want to close with a word of prayer, a word of prayer for all of us and for each of us here, that we would step in to that grace and receive that grace for ourselves. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we encounter you in this place at this very moment in time, Lord, I know that those who are watching, maybe they're seeing it online or over in the fellowship hall or within this room, Lord, each one of us has our own unique season that we are in, and those who are parenting children at all different stages, Lord, have struggles, struggles in their own life of trying to follow you, struggles of trying to be a good example for our children, but also recognizing, Lord, that we ourselves are sinners, that we fail regularly in the places where we hope to be good followers of you, and that those failures, Lord, ultimately do show up in our lives and our children see them. Father, I pray today, Lord, first for every parent to extend grace to themselves, to be people of humility and of forgiveness, of confessing these realities to you and then receiving the grace that you desire to pour out on us. And then, Lord, to extend that grace to our adult children, to recognize the journey that you are on with them, to watch them, to love them, to encourage them, and to keep them. Lord, we thank you for this today. May your grace and mercy be ever-present in our lives and in the lives of those we love. We pray this today, Jesus, in your name. Amen.